Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of the Confessions of a Crappy Christian podcast. I'm your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake Guichet, and I'm so pumped to be bringing you season two of this show, packed full of more people telling incredible stories of who God is and what he's done. This week's episode is with Erica Anderson. Erica is a freelance writer and mom of two, and her first book, Leaving Cloud Nine, details her husband's life story, and today she's sharing some of that with us, as well as what it's like to love and live with someone with mental illness. Erica, hey, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I've been listening to your show for about a year now, so I'm excited to be a guest. Oh my gosh, that's so fun. I didn't know that. So... You wrote a book, uh, Leaving Cloud Nine. You also have your own podcast, and you're a heavily featured author. I was like clicking through some of your features, and they are impressive. So <laughs> tell us about your book and about your husband Rick's story. Yeah, well, I guess first I'll just say that um, uh, I've been married to my husband for uh, almost seven years now. We have two children that are ages four and one. So life is a little crazy. You know how that is. <laughs> You're living the same kind of life. Yep. Um, and I recently started, I was working full time and then I recently started staying home. Um, so there's been a big shift in our household, um, but it's been fun and it's been really nice to spend more time with them and focus more on writing, uh, which is really my true, one of my true loves and passions in life. And I really feel like a gift that God has given me, which leads to the book, Leaving Cloud Nine. Um, Yeah. So basically, um, I met my husband 10 years ago, never expecting to, um, you know, I was just online dating just for fun, Mm. (laughs) trying to Mm -hmm. figure out what am I doing with my life? Am I ever going to meet this guy? And, um, you know, I was about to shut down my match.com profile for, you know, the second time, just kind of over it when I said, I'll just go out with this one last guy. And there he was. And I met my husband and I never had to go get back on match.com. Thank goodness. Uh, But on that day that I met him was really the beginning of learning about some of the really horrific things he went through as a child. I mean, sort of over the time that we were first getting to know each other, um, things started to come out about what he went through, um, being the child of a woman who had severe mental illness and really suffered from severe alcoholism and drug addiction. Mm. And the result of that being, he spent much of his childhood, very neglected, abused, Um, there's been a recent, um, in in the news or in research, people have been hearing about this lately, this thing called adverse childhood, um, effects. They're called Mm. the ACEs. And so there's like 12 of those. And he had like 11 of the 12. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, and when you look at those, and these are all markers of childhood trauma. So anything from, it can be as something as small as your parents getting divorced all the way up to physical abuse or seeing domestic violence in the home. Mm -hmm. And the more of these that you have, you know, sort of the more dire your life circumstances are supposedly going to turn out to be, at least according to statistics. And so he would tell me stories. I mean, just incredible stories of things that he witnessed and went through as a kid. And I would just go, I mean, I feel like people need to hear this story and see someone who went through this and came out on the other side. And uh, he said, well, you're a writer. Why don't Mm. you, why don't you write it? And of course, 
being a lover of writing since I was a little kid, writing a book was a, a big dream of mine. Um, yeah. but I had never considered like this would be the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the moment he said that was the moment that I realized like, yeah, I think this might be something that I want to do. Um, and you know, it, what turned out to be was that the story wasn't finished because at that point in his life, when we very first started dating, he was not yet a Christian. Mm. He was, had a lot of healing still to do and, um, and sort of lived out the rest of the story as I began to write it, which was really, um, sort of the coolest part of the whole thing was watching God work through our relationship and in his life, as we were writing this down, knowing that it would be used for something, you know, even greater than we could imagine. I, that's amazing. I love that you said something about this was never the book I thought I would write. I can't, I feel like that's so many people's story is that they end up writing a book that is as far as possible from the book they thought they would write as possible. And I mean, you couldn't have known being on match.com that you would end up falling (laughs) in love with someone with this incredible and terrible and sad story and putting it into a book. Like that's, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know, and really it's so much, obviously props goes to him because he's the kind of person who has no interest in being in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. He is an introvert to the extreme. Um, so putting his entire life out there in a book for literally my life in a book for <laughs> the world to see was truly um, sort of a miracle in and of itself. Um, but as time went on, he's, he, he really said he felt like God was telling him to tell his story because mm-hmm. he said, if it helps one person, then it's worth it. And he was a trooper. I mean, we spent hours and hours interviewing on road trips, you know, in restaurants. We, you know, I just have all of this interview tape of us, mm-hmm. you know, talking about everything from the time he was born until, you know, up until present day. And so getting it all down was, you know, a huge feat. Um, and it was a huge emotional process, but honestly for him, as someone who went through all that trauma and had never truly processed it, I think it was part of the healing journey in and of itself. And so mm-hmm. that's another sort of side point to the story. Yeah. So I wanted to go more into the, what, that is such a unique experience. So when you wrote the book, were y'all dating? Yeah. So we started it when we were dating and finished it when we were married with our first kid. (laughs) So it was a long process because as a, you know, as a person who had never written a book before, I didn't really know what it would take. And so I would start it and then I would be like, I'm never going to finish this. This Mm. is, this is pointless. I can't do this. It's too much. But then months would go by and I would get re-inspired and be like, no, no, I think I need to do this. And really, um, I, I love to tell this little story, sort of slip it in here because it was the inspiration that really got me through to actually finish this thing. And, um, and, and it's this, if you know of the author, Elizabeth Gilbert, she wrote the book, eat, pray, love, pretty Uh famous. Yeah. Uh, So she has another book that got pretty famous called Big Magic. And it's all about Mm -hmm. sort of living out your creative destiny. And I was on a run one day and I was in one of these places where I had stopped writing because it felt too hard. And she had this um, she had this thing that she said on her podcast. And she said, you know, that that phrase, what would you do if you knew you wouldn't fail? Mm -hmm. And she said, let's just let's change that. Let's say what would you do even if you knew you would fail? And I just, I stopped in the middle of my run and I was like, 
oh, that's it. Like I would write this book. Like I would finish this book for me, for Rick. And if only our parents, you know, ever read this thing, uh, then that's the, all that matters that I want to finish this. And if, and that's it. And from that point on, I decided, and, and I, you know, never stopped after that. I love that. I mean, that's such a, that's such an impactful and I feel like beautiful reason to write a book or to do anything is that, and it, and it takes away the power of, from everybody else and kind of puts it back in your lap, right? That, I'm not doing this fearing it will fail. I'm doing it super open-handedly because I know it's the next right step. And whether it does super well or, like you said, literally our parents read it, that's fine. That's I'm still going to do it. That's I literally wrote that down. What would you do <laughs> if you knew you would fail? Because that is true. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, God calls us to do things that – we ne- we may never know the reason why that is. And, mm-hmm. and you know, the fact that I got a book deal and, you know, got to do that whole exciting side of it is really cool. But honestly, if this book process had been only for my husband to be able to mm. really go through all of that junk from the past mm-hmm. and process it in the way that he needed to, to come out on the other side healed, then that would have been worth it too. And honestly, that is way more worth it in the end than any of the other stuff was. Um, and I'll, and I will tell you, it really has been a miraculous uh, journey watching him walk through all of that and come out really a renewed person. Like you would not even know him today from the person he was when I met him. Oh, I love that. We, j- I just recently, when we're recording, had an interview air about PTSD and the experience of it. So being the person with the PTSD, and I've done a few episodes about being the person with the mental illness or the trauma And I love the opportunity to have the conversation kind of from not the other side because you're just as in it, but from the other perspective, I guess. I'm sure you've learned so much about loving someone with trauma in their history and would love to hear what some of the things and lessons you've learned walking through that with him from who he was when you started dating to now. Yeah, definitely. So one of the first things I learned about him was that he had PTSD. And when I first heard that, I really had only heard that term used for veterans. And while he exactly. is actually, <laughs> yeah. So while he is actually a veteran of the, the army, um, and that's what I thought it was from when he first told me, I figured out, oh, well, he was in the army. So that must be it. That it, that wasn't it. He had PTSD from his childhood. Um, so that was the first thing I learned. But then um, I also started to learn about his depression. And then in the course of our relationship, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, so there was all kinds of stuff, including he also he had like a speech impediment that had to do with social anxiety disorder. Mm. Um, and so it was like you know, kind of mental struggle compounded on mental struggle. And I was coming to the relationship as a person who had suffered from some depression in the past. You know, I've had anxiety, but nothing really extreme. And the other side of it is that I come from really a really good family. Uh, I have, Mm. my parents have been married for 
you know, 38 years. I have wonderful extended family. I really don't have any history of trauma in my own life. So I, you know, we were coming together as like fire and ice. Like it was two completely different lives sort of crashing into one another. And so it took a lot of learning. And there were times in the beginning uh, that, you know, I didn't think that we were going to make it because it Mm -hmm. was so hard. Yeah. Um, But I really felt like there was a part of, I just, I really felt like um, there was so much of him that needed to be seen that no one else had ever seen. Mm -hmm. And I felt like God brought me to him. I really did. And, um, and so what I did was I started researching. So I bought a book. um, I think it was called something like how to love someone with bipolar disorder or when you love someone with bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. I bought a book about Al-Anon. So people that are dealing with alcoholics in their families. So that wasn't me, but I wanted to know what it would was like to be him. Mm-hmm. And through those processes of reading, I joined a Facebook group for like spouses of people with bipolar disorder. So I was just like full on, I'm going to understand this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get it because no one has ever given him the time of day to do this. Mm-hmm. And I love him. And yeah. so um, th- what I learned in the course of that, and I'm still learning even sometimes now, is just that you can't deal with a person with a mental illness like a healthy person. Mm. So sometimes when they say or do something in a particular moment, you're not supposed to react like a rational person. You're supposed to react like you're dealing with someone that has a handicap or has mm. a mental illness. And that's sort of where the light bulb went off where I was like, Oh, I could, I could take a step back from a situation we were getting in a fight or something. Cause one of his issues was rage and anger. Mm-hmm. And so that can be scary. That can mm-hmm. be like, you're just like, uh, don't talk to me that way. Like I'm out. I'm bye. See you later. I'm not doing this. Right. But it takes sort of educating yourself and self-control on your own part to be like, okay, why is this happening? What just happened to maybe trigger this? And how can my response contribute to simmering down the situation? And honestly, there were sometimes when I would sort of take those tactics that I learn and, you know, respond very calmly or in a way that um, definitely didn't match his response. And it really would tone down the situation in like an instant. Um, but I wouldn't have known that had I not taken the time to research it and sort of understand the person he was underneath the mental illness. Right. And that's such a a beautiful way to love someone is just trying to understand and then giving them the space and the, gosh, the the grace of not trying to deal with them like you would someone else. I think that there's this misconception that people who do struggle with mental illness want to be dealt with like they're fine. And that's, in what other situation does that work? (laughs) In what other scenario is loving someone well or when does loving someone well look like trying to act like nothing's wrong? Right. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing, and this is something to his credit that he would honestly sometimes remind me about in the moment as he would be like, pretend that I have a handicap, you know, like if someone Mm -hmm. can't walk, you don't expect them to get up and walk. Exactly. I have this handicap and you need to remember that. And, or he would, 
you know, we would talk about the fact that someone who's been through what he went through, like his emotional maturity level at that point was very um, young. Right. <laughs> you know, it, it, he sort of stopped developing at one point and was kind of frozen in time. Now he's come a long way since then. And he's definitely not at that place that he was 10 years ago, mm-hmm. but it required a lot of work. Like he went, he went to therapy for years. He's now on uh, the medication that he needs, which that's another whole aspect of this, <laughs> especially when you're dealing with someone with multiple um, disorders, like bipolar disorder. Um, it took a long time for him to find the right doctor and find mm-hmm. the right combination of medicines that worked for him. And so, um, and then, you know, of course, layered on top of all of that was this transformative relationship that he had with God, where mm-hmm. he became a Christian. And honestly, that was what was the major flip switch for the entire life change that ultimately happened. Well, and I was, I was thinking that the world he grew up in so many of us couldn't even make it up. Like we couldn't even imagine it. Imagine yeah, what I, that experience was like. So his worldview, the way the lens through which he views the world is completely different than ours. And I think so many people with trauma, especially in their childhoods, we think that they see the world exactly the way that we do and they because their experience with the world has been so different they see it so differently but I love what you're saying that what helps kind of merge our lenses together in a way is Jesus yes yes absolutely I mean one example that I use that's really I thought was very vivid in terms of how he does view the world in that way prior to this um, is he told me uh, when he this is when he was in his 20s he said um, I just didn't know people were happy like Mm -hmm. I didn't know people just like lived happy lives I just thought everyone just kind of was just going about life and just sort of trudging through. And that was right before he was diagnosed with depression when he was, um, he was actually in the army twice. That's really not an important detail, but the second time he was in the army, he was diagnosed with depression while he was in it. And it was at that point in his life that he realized he had been, you know, sort of looking at the world through these gray colored glasses when there were people living life in such bright full color. And he didn't even know that was possible. Right. So it's kind of, I mean, that is what mental illness does to you on one hand, but on the other hand, this was a result of the trauma. And right. so, um, it, it is really, it is a really important thing to remember, um, on that note. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever felt like you have the words to share, but you don't know where to start? Have you struggled with the tension between the art of writing and the business of publishing? Well, with the help of Hope Writers, an online community of working writers, you can learn how to share your words of hope with a world that desperately needs to hear them. Hope Writers helps writers make progress by finding and following the path to sharing their words with a reader without feeling lost, discouraged, or overwhelmed. To learn more and discover which of the six stages of writing you are currently in, visit crappychristianpodcast.com slash hopewriters. You have words of hope. Hope Writers wants to help you share them. I think I really feel like it It sums up with the, the sentence you said earlier of, of not dealing with a person with a mental illness like they're healthy. And I think, 
you know, we've every time I talk about mental health or mental illness, really on any of my platforms, I always end up saying something along the lines of the fact that it's 2020 and we're still trying to get people to take mental illness as seriously as they do any other illness, Mm -hmm. you know, just because it's one that you can't see does not mean that it's exactly what you said. If someone couldn't walk, you wouldn't expect them to get up and run across the room. If someone has PTSD, you can't expect them to be in a triggering environment or experience and not experience their post-traumatic stress disorder, you know? And I think that the, I'm so inspired and challenged by the way that you have loved him from the time that he was someone you met at an online dating site to being your husband that you leaned in and wanted to understand. Gosh, that's, I feel like that's so unheard of, wanting to understand what he was experiencing, the, the lens and view he was seeing things through. And I love that what that resulted in is this really beautiful life that he probably never thought he'd have. Yeah. I mean, I really, and, and I'm sure people that have loved others with mental illness can understand this, but even when I didn't know him very well and he would have these sort of fits of rage or blow up or, you know, say he would say some things that were really irrational when it came to social situations, things that I was just like, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, there are just so many instances that I could tell you about, but it was almost like I could see that that was the illness. Like, even Mm -hmm. though I didn't know him that well at first, like I could see like, that's not you, Mm -hmm. like, that's not you. And something just kept me there. Like something just kept me saying like, no, like there's something better inside. Like there's something Mm -hmm to be uncovered. But like I said, no one had ever stuck around long enough <laughs> to help him get through it. And I don't, I don't, you know, give myself the credit for like changing his life. I definitely give God all the credit for that. I really think God just put me in that place and gave me that ability to see who he really was. Um, because, you know, obviously this life that we have together is, is what the, the ultimate plan was. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he often talks about, um, the fact that our life that we have now with our, you know, we have a home and we have jobs and we have our kids, like this little simple life that we live is all he ever wanted. I mean, this is his, this is his dream come true. And I mean, I, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to cry just talking You're about, about to it. make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, you think back to this little kid that was just, you know, living in a hotel room, his mom leaving him alone with his sister and they've got like nothing to eat. He's like seeing her being abused by this boyfriend that went to jail. I mean, there's just so many stories. And so every day he can look at his life and be like, you know, this is it. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, even though he, that past is not something anyone would ever wish for themselves. Um, in a way he's, he finds contentment easier than I do because mm. I grew up with all this great stuff. And so I'm in a way sort of always seeking the next thing or, mm-hmm. you know, never f- just quite there yet, but he's, he's like, this like, is all I could have ever asked for. Right. Right. Exactly. And so That's, he really yeah. is now he's happier person than I am, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, yeah, I think. 
you know, I think any of us with kids or gosh, I mean, really any of us with a heart (laughs) can look at a child with that kind of upbringing and it grieves us. And it's such a crystal clear picture. This is making me really emotional. And I don't know if it's because I'm tired (laughs) or that it's just this, this is that beautiful. But I mean, it's just such a crystal clear picture of what the economy of Christ looks like, that everything is upside down and nothing is deserved and nothing is earned. And here the two of you are living this really beautiful, simple life that it, that came out of a really horrible beginning. And I hope that that gives people hope that if you're quote unquote really hard and sometimes seemingly pointless season wasn't the beginning of your life but it's right now that there that the economy of grace and Christ were it doesn't matter what point in the timeline you are that it is there and that it's waiting and that man even if that season goes for way longer than you could have ever thought it would that he's still good you know yeah and I'll say that I mean this didn't he went through over 30 years of his life right you know exactly it it goes to say like there is another um there is a light at the end of the tunnel, I guess. There is another reality that you may not even realize exists mm-hmm. right now, but you can look at someone that has a life like this and say, like, it can exist. It does mm-hmm. exist. And um, as, as it speaks to his spiritual life, um, sometimes I'm still, like, amazed. Like, cause sometimes I feel like he knows more about the Bible than me. Like, oh, having, I love that. Not having started re- reading it until like way later than me in life. Um, but it really did all start with him literally opening his Bible and just reading it and, yeah. and spending time in prayer. And I know that sounds simple and it's almost like, yeah, duh, but that's what he did. And he did it very diligently. And I don't know what gave him sort of the discipline to do that. It definitely wasn't me. Um, but he did that. And like the Holy spirit moved. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it just showed, I mean, you cannot read the Bible every day and have the Holy spirit and, and have a pure heart at, you know, seeking it and have the Holy spirit not show up. Mm-mm. And, and that's exactly what happened. And it really showed me, I mean, it really showed me lifelong Christian uh, slacker at reading the Bible, um, the power of those words and the power of just simple prayers. I mean, he, he wouldn't even, I mean, he wouldn't pray out loud a prayer 10 years ago if Mm -hmm. you paid him a million dollars. Yeah. Uh, But it was just these simple prayers that he would write down in his journal or just say to God, like the same thing every single day. And over time, like things just moved and his life completely changed. Um, and he really found freedom. I'm going to tell you a quick story. Um, this is a person who, uh, could not introduce himself at a party, Mm. like without sort of stumbling over his own name because his social anxiety was so extreme Yeah, that when our book came out and we, you know, it was time to promote the book, the two of us stood in front of our entire church and he basically gave a speech about it. Oh. And 
I mean, like, I couldn't even, I could barely talk because I couldn't believe that he could do that. But that is the kind of freedom that he found from barely being able to talk to speaking in front of our entire church and being fully delivered in freedom from that social anxiety. Mm-hmm. So that's just one of the many uh, tangible things that changed in his life through this experience. That's amazing. That's amazing. And y'all's story is amazing. I'm so thankful that you pushed through and put it in a book and that the rest of us get to benefit from it. You know, like you said, it's it was worth all of it for the healing that it brought your eventual husband. But I know that it goes so much more past that. Yeah. And I think what what I think I what I want people to or what we're hoping people will find in the book is just there's a lot of people that are going to see themselves in this, mm-hmm. whether it's one aspect of childhood trauma that they went through to or, uh, you know, dealing with mental illness or, you know, just leaving home and then cutting ties with everyone from your past. I mean, there are just so many different elements of various tough life circumstances that we cover in the book. Um, And I mean, we even, even in the book, we talk about how we dealt with infertility and, Mm -hmm. you know, there are just so many little pieces I think that people can pick up and just really find sort of hope in the story and um, for themselves, hopefully they can grab onto that and know that there is somebody that's been through it and uh, knows exactly where they are. Yeah, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for this conversation. I, I think that sometimes people hear mental illness and think that there's nothing there for them, you know, and that that's never the case. I hope that people don't skip over the mental health episodes because they don't feel like they struggle with that because there's always, always so much more to be gleaned from these conversations than just if you struggle with mental illness or not. Yeah. And just on that, I would say it's really made me more aware of, of just other people that I come in contact with that are new, like Mm -hmm. to recognize, like if someone seems awkward or uncomfortable, like I think like, Oh, well maybe they have a real struggle with social anxiety disorder, Mm -hmm. you know, something that you wouldn't normally think of. We're always going to be in contact with people that have mental illness. And so learning how to sort of detect that or just to be sensitive to their needs. I mean, just as you would someone who's blind or can't walk, like we want to be able to accommodate those things for people. And so that's another thing that I think people might take from this. Yes, I completely agree. Um, So we close out our interviews with rapid fire questions. Uh, What's your Enneagram type? Well, I'm a four. I was wondering if you would guess that, though. (laughs) No, I don't think I would have guessed four. I think I was (laughs) leaning more two. Really? Yeah. I mean, I'm a creative, so. Yeah. uh, and my sister says, like, she could guess because I'm a hopeless romantic. So oh, I love that. What's do you know Rick's number? Yes, he's a six. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes yeah, sense. <laughs> it does. That makes sense. Uh, what's your coffee order? So lately I've been getting the almond milk honey <gasps> flat, honey flat white at it's Starbucks. It's so good. Yes, it's I did so a month good. of vegan in January. And so I kind of haven't been doing a lot of dairy and I was like okay I'm gonna try this and now I've been getting it every time I know I tried it just because it sounded good and I don't eat or drink a lot of dairy either I have like it just 
my body and dairy don't do well together. But <coughs> I've found that so many uh, of their attempts at non-dairy drinks were not good. But this one was so good. I was so pleasantly surprised. Yeah, um, really good. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? So the first thing that came to mind to this, for this, I have to just say, and that's time travel. <laughs> because <gasps> That's such a good one. Yes. I have always had this obsession with time travel, like all the way back to um, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yes. <laughs> you remember that movie? Yes, of course. And so, I, or like, I love, uh, what's that, what was that movie that recently came out that took place in space with Matthew McConaughey where he like, uh-huh. there's, oh. I can't out what it's called. Shoot. Yeah. I yeah. know what you're talking about. Yeah. Anyway, any movie or anything that's related to time travel, I'm just like obsessed with it. And I know it's not actually possible, but I had just have this thing. Oh, Time Traveler's Wife. I love that movie. I was about to say, <laughs> did you read the book? Yes. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yes, I mean, devastating, but so good. <laughs> yes, totally. So good. Oh, I love that. And so uh, this is a side note. I just changed up the questions maybe 10 or so episodes back. And I am loving the correlation between people's Enneagram number and what superpower they say. Oh, really? Because, I mean, think about it. How, like, romantic and idealistic is time travel? Like, that's such a four answer. And I interviewed a five, and his was invisibility. Which was like, yes, that's (laughs) such a five answer. And then I had an eight, and I'm an eight, and our answer was the same, which was, (laughs) um, gosh. And then I forget the word every single time. Uh, Where you can, like, transport in your mind, like. Teleport? Yeah, like both of ours was teleportation. Yeah. So I just there's there's some kind of link here, and I'm starting to nerd out enneagram wise on it. But I feel like you could get a viral blog post going with this. Or <laughs> this is a BuzzFeed article all yes, over. Totally. <laughs> well, Erica, thank you so much for taking the time to share your heart and your husband's story and your story together. Uh, this was such an incredible interview. I loved it so much. Tell everybody where they can find and follow you and get a copy of your book. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so you can find me. Usually I'm Erica Anderson. I'm going to spell it E-R-I-C-K-A-A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N because both of them are spelled weird. But anyway, EricaAnderson.com, Erica Anderson on Twitter, Erica 81 on Instagram. And then I have a podcast. It's called Worth Your Time Podcast, where I interview um, sort of probably some of the same kinds of women that you interview, but sort of, I, I have a, a bit of a focus on faith and politics and culture. Oh. So that's a little bit of a twist. I used to work I like in, it. I, lived, I lived in Washington, D.C. for 10 years and worked on Capitol Hill. So that's been a really sort of a deep seated interest of mine and in combining those things and having, um, you know, great conversations about, uh, relevant issues. That is super cool. Well, I definitely will check that out. Thank you. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right, see you next week.
This morning, Jen woke up, made three breakfasts, did two loads of laundry, and one conference call. But she also saved $25 because Jen uses a new innovation from Huntington called Money Scout. It analyzes Jen's checking account to find money that's not being used and moves it to her savings automatically. Learn more and enroll at Huntington.com slash Money Scout. Huntington, welcome. Message and data rates may apply to text alerts. Money Scout is subject to eligibility, terms and conditions, and other account agreements. Member FDIC.